Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Hoseas and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their kin and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a blessing to get to be with each of you this morning and to have an opportunity to fill in for Dr. Chapel while he is away. I know that he looks forward to being back with each of you and also each of you anticipate his return soon. Uh, we find ourselves this morning in the fifth Sunday of a series in which we are taking a look at the moments in which Jesus finds himself face to face with his critics. Now, the gospel writers were meticulous in making sure that their accounts of Jesus' life were as accurate as possible. And of course, that would have to include moments in which Jesus was not the most popular person in the room. Moments of great power followed by moments of intense resentment and even anger in moments. Now, I don't know about all of you, but I can certainly resonate with moments of not being the most popular person in the room. Just come and watch me tell my one-year-old that she has had more than enough goldfish for the moment. She doesn't always have that sweet little face on. Come and watch. Or come watch on a Sunday night when the games are done and it's time to talk about Jesus for just a little bit in the student ministry. I was catching up with a youth minister friend once, and she told me, my youth group has come up with a new motto for the group. I asked what it was, and she promptly said, Casey hates fun. <laughs> we all face our critics because we all are in leadership in one way or another. We lead at work, in our families, in our schools, in our communities. And as Dr. Chapel reminded us the first week, if people are not criticizing you, you are likely not leading them anywhere. And in our passage this morning, Jesus finds himself once again facing the critical crowd as, as his uh, following grows. In Mark 6, we find Jesus walking on familiar ground. He's back home walking the same roads he walked when he was a child. Many of us remember our first return back home after leaving for the first time. Seniors, you will soon experience that feeling. The feeling where everything and absolutely nothing has changed. Knowing that you have experienced a little bit more of the world, but the place that was the whole world for you for so long seems completely unchanged. You have experienced so much and grown, but that does not mean the hometown looks all that different or knows of your journeys to this point. Jesus begins his journey back home to his old stomping ground with his new friends, the disciples, in tow. They are headed to the church. It's homecoming Sunday at the first church there in Nazareth. 
The potluck is ready in the fellowship hall for after the service, and everyone is ready to hear from Mary's boy that has come back home. Now, I want to stop here and point out that in the section of Scripture that immediately precedes this passage, Jesus has gone on a spree of showing just how powerful the Son of God can be. He threw a demon out of a man and into a herd of pigs. A suffering woman just touched the fringe of his robe and was healed both by her faith and the power of the divine within. He visits a girl thought to be dead, but Jesus tells her to get up, and she does. The man, was told, the man has told the wind of a raging storm to be silent and the dead to rise, but he's about to face an even more raging storm. He's about to walk in to his most difficult crowd, the people that would say they know him the best. It's funny how the people that know us the best can also be our most difficult crowd or our largest critics at times. I remember once I was reviewing some sermon notes with Carlisle, my wife, on a Saturday afternoon, only to look up a few minutes in to notice that she had fallen asleep. I think I would have rather her just pointed out the bad parts than fall asleep, but maybe she was giving me the best notes that she had. Anyways, Jesus is walking back into the hometown crowd, and if he has not already gotten used to facing his critics, he better be now. It's difficult to have our flaws or our weaknesses pointed out. No one likes to hear about the areas in which they could use some improvement. We would naturally much rather focus on the ways in which we measure up rather than fall short. Michael Scott from the famous sitcom series The Office, when asked about his weaknesses, responded with, my weaknesses, I don't know. I care too much. I spend too much time volunteering. I try too hard at my job. We would all rather deflect our critiques rather than face them, but Jesus in this passage is about to hear them from the place he calls home. Jesus launches into his teaching and the congregation begins to mumble to each other about their guest's preacher. At first they are surprised by the great wisdom that seems to have fallen upon him. Where did this man get all of this? They ask, what's this wisdom he has been given? Have you heard about the powerful acts that he has done? Slowly the surprise turns, begins to fade, and a critical spirit begins to take over. In the crowd, they have decided just what they think Jesus' biggest flaw is. They have decided why these powerful acts clearly cannot be true, and more so, why he clearly can't be who he says that he is. They know him. They've known his past. They've watched him grow up. They saw his training. They know his whole family, and they began to poke holes in his story. How on earth could the God of the universe show up in the form of the boy down the road? Not to mention that they've heard rumors of what he has been up to since he is gone. He's forgiven sinners. Who gave him permission to do that? He's been eating meals with the worst guests that he could choose. He's not been keeping the Sabbath, or so that they have been, hurt, so they have been told. He clearly has lost his mind. He can't just tell a dead girl she is merely sleeping. The crowd is in complete shock that Mary's boy could in any way be close to the divine. Surprise and awe awe turn to disgust. In fact, the scripture actually says in some translations that they were repulsed by him. In Luke's account of the same homecoming, the congregation turns into an angry mob and even run him out of town. 
Jesus' homecoming has turned into an encounter in which he has gone from quieting the storms to having one form around him. He is in an instant gone from the very fringe of his robe, being the vehicle through which someone has been healed, to being completely dismissed. The criticism, the reason he's dismissed, they already know him. He seems too familiar to be the one an entire nation of people have been waiting on for centuries. The Hebrew people, God's chosen people, have been waiting on a Messiah, a Savior, for generations, and now the kid they watch fall and scrape his knee in the neighborhood is claiming to be that Savior. You see, Jesus didn't just return to Nazareth as the hometown boy looking to get a pat on the back. He was continuing on his mission of bringing light to darkness, the mission of expanding the kingdom of God on earth, the mission of the very presence of God moving into the neighborhood. He was not just a boy from down the road. He was God's prophet speaking truth into existence, and word had reached all the way back home about him. He had been stirring up trouble wherever he went. He not only spoke to the lepers, but he got down on their level and he touched them, and he healed them. He sat down with the lowly and the unpopular. He was not guarding the status quo, he was speaking directly against it. He was disrupting things so much that by the beginning of the third chapter of Mark's gospel, people had already started to plan on how to get rid of him. And now he's brought all of his trouble back home with him. Jesus is not just coming back home to check in on the family. He is coming home because the hometown is a part of the mission field. The words he is teaching is not just for the land far up, off, but for the paths he walked with familiarity. I love that the passage goes on to point out that Jesus is not surprised one bit by the fact that the potluck had gotten called off. Prophets are honored everywhere except in their own hometowns, among their relatives, It then goes on to point out that Jesus was unable to perform any miracles there. Well, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, which seems like a miracle if you ask me. This lets us know that this passage is in no way about the lack of power of Jesus. The hard look in the mirror that this passage is calling its readers towards is at the very end of verse three, and they fell into sin. The inability to believe that the vine can radiate out of that which familiar creates a separation between the people of Nazareth and God. And I wonder this morning where we would say that we fall short in our ability to believe that God might show up right in the middle of that which we call ordinary. Jesus was not getting run out of town because he had not lived up to the hometown expectations He was getting run out of town because he was embodying the very fact that God shows up in that which is ordinary, and they couldn't accept it. Jesus shows that God is coming to make the ordinary extraordinary, that it is possible for the divine to radiate out of that which even feels the most familiar to us. They couldn't accept the fact that maybe, just maybe, the living God might show up in the man who had been trained as a carpenter, And that was their sin, refusing to believe that maybe the God most high might show up in those that seem normal, the most normal, and hang out with those on the lowest rung of the social ladder. 
I've been reminding teenagers now for 16 years that if they want to see God at work, they must put on a lens in which they expect to see God in everything. I have to admit that I'm not always the best at taking my own advice, though. Friends, where have we looked over the very presence of God in our lives because we refuse to believe that God can show up in the everyday, in the ordinary, in the familiar? Where do we cripple the Holy Spirit in our lives because it chose to show up in the form of that which we would call mundane? Where are we refusing to be the hands and feet of God because it seems too much to just show up with a meal, to lend a hand, to show forgiveness, to believe the best in someone, to give a hug? I wanna take a moment to brag on some of our students. A week and a half ago, our students had their choir tour, and as are most things this day, it looked a little bit different. It was not to a distant city like they had grown used to. They likely never traveled more than about 20 minutes from their own driveways, but they encountered God all the same. Last Wednesday, they took the afternoon to deliver meals through Fishes and Loaves ministry here at BUMC. Some of you may have been a part of this wonderful ministry beginning again. They assembled the meals that had been already prepared. They wrote letters, they delivered the meals, and they sang songs about the love of Christ. Wesley Hill, one of our caring ministers, went with the students and shared that she got to speak with one of the neighbors who came outside after hearing the voices of teenagers sing. The neighbor said to Wesley, I don't know that I believe in God, but there is just something about a good song that brings a tear to my eye. Wesley said, she might not realize it, but she experienced the living God, and I saw God in her that day. That's God showing up in the everyday, in the ordinary, and it changes lives. We must go into the world expecting to see God at work and anticipating the ways in which we might be used for the glory of the kingdom of God, for those looking for it and those who might even refuse to see it. I want to take a moment to introduce you to one of my best friends these days. Uh, this is Cameron. Cameron will be starting kindergarten this fall. His parents have been dear friends to Carlisle and I for years now. Cam and his family live just two doors down from us. And lately, Cam and I spend most of our late afternoons fishing in the neighborhood pond behind both of our backyards. Uh, seems more often than not, Cam catches more fish, more fish than I do, and whether he intends to or not, he usually ends up teaching me a few things. The fishing usually ends with his mother and Carlisle coming back on both of our back porches and yelling for us to come wash up for dinner. I love it. It makes me feel like a big kid. One afternoon, we had caught a few fish and maybe even a few trees. Silence fell for a little while. Cam broke the silence by looking at me and asking, Adam, do you think all some people do instead of jobs is just go fishing? Forgetting my occupation for a moment, I simply replied with maybe. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that what I should have said is each and every one of us is called to be a fisher of men and women, a calling to catch as many people as possible with the love of Christ who spreads grace to the ends of the earth. Now I know Cam pretty well, and he would have for sure had a follow-up question to my response. He would have asked, Adam, why don't we do it? 
Friends, we don't always do it because we're too busy running the guy teaching us out of town. Because if we listen too closely to the truth he is preaching, then he will change everything that we are familiar and comfortable with and exchange it for that which reflects the kingdom of God. And that makes us agents of love and grace in the world. Friends, the call is there. Jesus stands before us preaching truth into power and calling us to live it out. We cannot allow familiarity and comfort to become the blinders that bind us from furthering the kingdom. We must begin to see the ordinary moments of each day as an opportunity to encounter the living God. Now, I can't finish this morning without pointing out the fact that the two pastors that you have leading you this morning call this place home. Reverend Orr and I both call this place home, have been shaped by this church, baptized in this very room, heard a call here. You took us in, you sent us out, and in grace, you have welcomed us back. We are thankful for the fact that you have not just looked at us as the kid from down the road and dismissed us. If so, I haven't heard it. I wanna say thank you for that. Because church, we have work to do in this community. We are a called people. There are people that need Jesus to show up to them in the everyday, in the ordinary. And it happens as we live into being Jesus to others. There are people in this community that need to know of the life-changing grace and love of Jesus, that it gives them meaning and purpose. And it takes the work of each of us, being the body of Christ to each other and to everyone we come in contact with. I believe and know that this church, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is doing amazing and great work, not just in this community, but also in lands far off. But it's got to start with each interaction that we have. It's got to be acknowledging that each ordinary moment is packed with unlimited potential for the extraordinary to show up. I'll go ahead and speak for Casey and I both. We are here for the work. It's truly a blessing for this pastor to be in his hometown because I know we are a people looking for God to show up and willing to be used for the love of Christ so that it is a secret to no one that we meet. Friends, this calling, it is our blessing. It is not our curse. May we not run from it or run it out, but rather may we go out those doors and run towards it. May it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.